You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. It is December 29th, a Tuesday, but we're going to do that mailbag Monday that was promised, answering all your questions from Monday. Maybe the most questions I've ever gotten for this mailbag. So thank you very much to my friend Eli Sussman at Fish Stripes for hitting me with a retweet to help me get in front of as many Marlins fans as possible. And then thank you to the Marlins fans that fired questions away. Remember, even when I'm not asking for a mailbag on that given day, if you ever have any questions, feel free to DM them to me at Nate on Twitter or at LockedOnMarlins. And I will either stow that one away if it doesn't have an expiration date for the next mailbag, because I'm going to be trying to do one every week during this offseason, or I'll just fire you an answer right back and give you my thoughts. So definitely take advantage of that. And I love talking baseball and talking Marlins baseball with anybody who listens to the podcast, or even if you don't, my DMs are open. Although you'd have no way to hear me say that right now if you don't listen to the podcast. So that's a moot point. Anyways, we get back to what's going to be a fun episode because I get to talk about all of the things that you asked about. And really, you give me something to talk about because the Marlins don't give me anything to talk about right now. They have not done anything since the Rule 5 draft, which I really like the guys they picked up in the Rule 5 draft, but guess what? You don't win World Series through the Rule 5 draft unless you get Johan Santana every single year or my boy Dan Ugla. Even then, you gotta do some other things. And the Marlins have some holes that they need to address. And when we look at this past week, I would say that it's pretty obvious that prospect-wise, it is a buyer's market, especially if you're willing to take on any money whatsoever. It doesn't have to be anything too steep, but not many teams at all are really willing to take on any cash. You look at the Blake Snell trade, Snell's contract is incredibly, incredibly favorable to whatever team takes him, which is now the Padres. It would have been favorable to the Rays, but still, the Rays didn't want to spend that money. It was backloaded, so this was probably the plan all along. He made $7 million in 2020. He's going to make over $10 million this coming year, which puts him 30th for highest paid in the league at for pitchers which is not high at all, especially given how good Blake Snell is. He is much better than the 30th best pitcher in the game. It's backloaded, so it goes up to 12.5 and then $16 million. But even at $16 million, Blake Snell is somewhat reasonable at that price. I would pay Blake Snell $16 million any day of the week, assuming that he continues to be the pitcher that he has been this past year. And in that Cy Young season, he had an injury plague season in between where he was not as good. But the prospect return for Snell, I think was underratedly pretty solid. It was not going to be market value. There was nothing that was going to be market value for Blake Snell because his contract was favorable, which gives him even more value. And there's not that many teams, like I said, that are looking to take on tens of millions of dollars and give up a lot of prospects or even have the prospect capital to get a Blake Snell. Most of the teams that do have that prospect capital don't have the money, having both very rare. And that's why the Padres were in a perfect position in a position where they're kind of like, you're going to take this package. We're going to give you a quality package. You're not going to find a better one anywhere else. And that seems to be what happened. Same thing with the U Darvish trade. And then the U Darvish trade was fascinating to me because the Cubs seem to be opting for high upside, high variance type of prospects. Well, can I interest you in just about anybody in the Marlins system? Because the fish are hoarding high variance, high ceiling, high risk, whatever you want to call it, type of prospects. And they should probably unload a few of them because guess what happens with high variance prospects? 
they vary and not all of them will pan out. And we're seeing that. And it's honestly kind of signing against the Marlins so far. They are not getting as many of these players to pan out early on, at least not giving up on all of them, but it has been a slow start for some of these high ceiling, high risk type of players. The Cubs, they want the high ceilings right now because their farm system is not great and they're pretty much tearing it down. It's a fire sale. And that return for Darvish, I know that Darvish is owed a lot of money until he's 37, but he was a Cy Young runner-up this past year. And the prospect return was lower level guys. Some are projectable. There's a couple that I do like, but overall, besides Zach Davies, who is Kyle Hendricks 2.0, now they have two guys that throw 85 miles an hour, which is absurd. They took a bunch of toolsy teenagers. And I think There's some better ones in that deal than others, and I will get into that package also on Locked On MLB Prospects. I just released an episode where I broke down that Blake Snell package and every piece in it, and tomorrow I will be releasing an episode on every piece in that U Darvish deal, but it's got to be somewhat of a buyer's market when you're looking at it prospect-wise, and there's not that many teams that have the capital that the Marlins have. And yes, I don't think the Marlins should make a major splash right now. We've seen them be very quiet. But there are a few obvious moves that I think they could easily make. And that kind of leads me into this first question here, which is, what is the market for the Marlins? Any particular names we should watch for? Now, I'm not going to play reporter here and say, I've heard some rumblings that the Marlins may be interested in this guy, because honestly, I've heard nothing and it's been dead silent. I mean, we just have not heard anything about what the Marlins may be doing other than the fact that they're hosting a low-key hitting camp over in Jupiter for some of the elite prospects. That's pretty cool. I know they're doing that. I don't think a lot of people know about that. That's about all the scoop I got for you right now because the Marlins are not really doing anything. What I think they should do and some targets I think they should be looking at that makes sense and if I'm putting myself in their shoes with some of the limitations that they have financially and everything and what they want to do and they don't want to block prospects and that's why they're not going to go get an outfielder and I don't really think they should go get an outfielder. What's the one position that you can upgrade I'd say two positions that you can upgrade and not block any prospects, the bullpen and catcher. And I think the bullpen, you look free agency. Catcher, you look Wilson Contreras. I've floated Salvador Perez. I've floated Wilson Contreras. And I've had some tell me, no, 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 I don't want Wilson Contreras. Why? Why do you not want Wilson Contreras? He's a top five catcher in the game. He is young. He's owed probably around five to seven million this coming year. It's not that bad. You trade Alfaro. He's owed two million. And honestly, I would much rather pay Wilson Contreras seven million, hell, eight million, nine million, than pay Jorge Alfaro two at this point. Alfaro just is not going to take that next step. I really don't think so. Maybe he'll prove me wrong, but I just don't see it. His war has been identical year to year. His offensive profile has gotten a tad better. His defensive profile got worse. So it's just really not the thing you want to see from a young catcher that's no longer that young, going on 27, maybe 28 years old, and just does not seem to be able to put it together, does not have good play discipline, is not great defensively, and just I just don't see it anymore. I think the Marlins need to start looking in other directions. And you have an opportunity here with a team like the Cubs that is really unloading everything. It's a fire sale. It is nothing short of a fire sale. Wilson Contreras makes so much sense. He fits the window if the Marlins are really looking a year or two from now where he can really help them in a couple years. And also, the Marlins have no catching prospects that you can really get pumped about. I still have some hope for Will Banfield. He's got good power. He's great defensively. But we can't pretend like he's anything close to a sure thing and we both we know he's far away. So this makes so much sense. And it helps the Marlins now. It helps them in the future. And if you want to try to capture this in a bottle here and continue what was a very special season last year, 
and kind of hedge what's going to be an inevitable step back somewhat probably this coming year. I'm not saying they won't be good, but the odds of them making the playoffs again are quite slim in this NL East. That's why I see both sides of it, right? The Marlins don't need to push all the chips forward because the NL East is a juggernaut right now and they still want to feel things out and free agency is going to be stacked next year and maybe they'll look to spend money as they have more clarity on their financial situation. I get that, but why would you not go get Wilson Contreras? When's the next time a catcher in his late 20s is going to be available that is an all-star and could continue to get better? I think he went a little stale this past year. Everybody was brutal with the Cubs this past year. And I think that he would really benefit from a fresh situation. He's better defensively than Alfaro, though he does have some inconsistencies and we know he's better offensively and would be a jolt to this lineup that needs power. Contreras offers power. You're getting that jolt offensively and you're improving defensively. It's a no-brainer. You cannot roll into this season with Chad Wallach at catcher and say that we're trying to compete. Heck, you can't even roll into the season with Jorge Alfaro as the starting catcher and say we're trying to compete because you were not even willing to play him in the playoffs. And you can say, oh, Chad Wallach was on a hot streak behind the dish, whatever that is. If you are confident in your starting catcher, I don't care how much of a hot streak culling games Chad Wallach is on, you are going to start your starting catcher at least once in the postseason. You're not going to bench him the whole time for somebody that just does not even hit at all at a league average, not even close to a league average level, not even really at the average level for a backup catcher, I don't think. I'd have to look at that. I don't even know what that is. It's probably not good. So I just do not see that there. What would a return look like for Wilson Contreras? It would maybe be a little steep, but nothing crazy. And the Marlins have more than enough pieces. The Cubs want some young pitching. Eliezer Hernandez is a good starting point. You could even trade Jesus Sanchez. I think that The Marlins should sell on that volatility there. Yes, he could still be good. No, I'm not giving up on him. But the Marlins have plenty of outfielders, and I have confidence in the other guys like Cameron Meisner, Peyton Burdick. I even have, of course, J.J. Bladé is going to be up there pretty soon. They, of course, went and got Griffin Conine, who led the Midwest League in home runs, had some strikeout issues, made some major adjustments at the plate, good reports out of Instructs. You also have Victor Mesa Jr., who has really had some great reports. I hear nothing but amazing things about the progression of Victor Mesa Jr. I've heard so many say that he looks so much better than his brother, which isn't saying much, but still, I feel for Victor Victor. But Victor Jr. apparently looks phenomenal. Powerful swing from the left side, great athlete, and seems like a guy that could be poised for a really good season and full and a full season this coming year, depending on where he starts. I'm assuming he'd start in A-ball and have a pretty good start there. I think he could finish the year in high A and has a good approach, a good work ethic, and seems like he has a great personality as well. That's another outfielder that the Marlins have there. There's just so many pieces for the fish. And of course, Gerard Encarnacion too, who's another high variance type of player, but does have a projectable ceiling and does have some prospect value. Connor Scott is not worthless just yet, though I do think the Marlins should move on from him and try and sell high with whatever value they can get. I've not heard great things about what Connor Scott has looked like at times in instructs, and I just am not too sold on his ability uh, to be an impact player anywhere in the outfield. He could be a solid fourth outfielder, maybe an average outfielder at best. I think the Marlins should try and cash in on him too. But the point is, they have so many in a package of Eliezer and Gerard Encarnacion or Jesus Sanchez and then Nick Knighter or Filler or something like that. That could get it done. Might take a little bit more. Who knows? But maybe even a Gerard Encarnacion, Connor Scott, and Eliezer type of package could get it done. I don't know. The Marlins could also get a bullpen arm in there with them. I think that you have to be okay with giving up just about any prospect that's not named J.J. Boudet, Max Meyer, and Edward Cabrera. I really feel that way because 
The Marlins did do a great job of building depth in that system, but some of these guys are going to struggle and their value is going to plummet. And I really not too sold on some of these prospects, especially the Gerard Encarnacion, Saconner Scotts, those guys that could easily just fall flat at the next level. And then you don't have much there. And the Marlins already have so many good outfielders that I think they got to trade from that. Also, Eliezer Hernandez, who knows how he's going to come back from that injury. He also only had a handful of starts. I think it was seven starts where he looked really good this year. Are we sold on that? He couldn't go more than five innings. I think you should maybe try and sell high there too. I know that we've developed this attachment to so many of these prospects because that's all we were forced to do, given that the Marlins had very little talent at the major league level, and you're being told to just embrace these prospects and look forward to the future. But other than Blade, Max Meyer, Edward Cabrera, and then obviously Trevor Rogers and Sixto, I'm willing to deal just about anybody. Braxton Garrett can go, Neidert, Jorge Guzman. You could put together some sort of package there and get at least a decent return. Reminder, too, that the Marlins essentially have two first-round picks in this coming draft. They're going to replenish some talent. They also just drafted so many arms. You got to be okay with parting with some of these guys. They're going to add talent with the regular first-round pick and then the 30th overall pick with the compensation selection and the Astros not having a selection this year. Literally, it's two first-round picks for the Marlins. They're going to have more talent coming in, and they already did draft Dax Fulton, Kyle Nicholas, Zach McCambly. There's a lot of good arms that could be valuable pieces pretty soon. Another question is, do we bring Brad Hand home? I think Brad Hand is a no-brainer. I've talked about this on some episodes and that he makes the most sense. The Marlins need somebody that can get left-handed hitters out. Hand checks both boxes as potentially being the closer option and a guy that can get lefties because, like I've said in the past, there are so many good left-handed hitters in this division. You look at Juan Soto. You look at Bryce Harper, Freddie Freeman. You need to be able to get those guys out in big situations. Sure, they're going to get theirs. They're going to ball out. They're going to kill the Marlins, especially Freddie Freeman. But you need to have you need to have somebody that can fight fire with fire. Brad Hand is that. And while I think the Marlins, no matter what, if they bring in Hand, would still go closer by committee. Because as I've mentioned, sometimes the most important three outs might be in the eighth inning. If you got three lefties in a row, you bring in Brad Hand. It just gives you the ability to have an established southpaw out of the bullpen that can really take what is a subpar pen and make it at least average or above average. And that kind of leads me into the next question is, please don't tell me this is the bullpen we're rolling into the new season with. I really hope it's not. I don't want to tell you that. I have some fears that it might be, but I really hope it's not because there are still so many good arms available on the market. The Marlins declined Brandon Kinsler's $4 million option. He was just paid $3 million this past year. No longer paying Jose Urania. No longer paying Wei-Yin Chen. You got the money. You got more money coming in. It makes so much sense to just go a two-year deal on a reliever. You also got 12.5 coming off the books after this year with Starling Marte. Another $8 million coming off the books after this year with Corey Dickerson. Come on. You got to spend a little bit. Two years, $15 million would more than get it done for Brad Hand. It's a no-brainer. And if you're really keen on trying to keep this momentum going, I'm not saying the Marlins need to make the playoffs, but the Marlins need to prove that last year wasn't a fluke. And I think there's a lot of pressure there to do that, or at least I think there should be pressure there to do that, because you're trying to recapture this fan base. You're trying to prove to them that there's a process. And while last year exceeded expectations, the Marlins were totally pretending like it was part of the plan. The front office was fully like, This is what we knew we could do, whatever, whatever, and probably a little bit of BS, although the Marlins, we did know, could be a lot better than they were in the past, and then we knew that they were going to take a step forward. Anybody that follows the team closely knew they would be better, even if it was a full 162, this past year than they were the year before, 
But that's a good question by Tommy Hill over here that says, what does ownership do if the team takes a step back next season? There's going to be a lot of pressure on them if ownership does take a step back next season because they were pushing, as they should have, they were pushing the hell out of this success, right? They're sending memos out. We are the best story in sports right now. Are you watching? If you're not watching, what are you doing? This is crazy. We're skipping the last phase of the rebuild. We're well on our way. We're competitors now. They were throwing it all out there, and they should. They should because they need to try to capture this fan base. And again, the Marlins don't need to win 100 games this coming year, but they need to prove that they are on an upward trajectory. Yeah, we made the playoffs in a 60-game season. We weren't quite built completely for 162. We're getting there, but we won 82 games this coming year, let's say, and we're going to keep getting better. That's what they have to say. That's what they have to show. But right now, I'll tell you this, with this roster they have, unless Edward Cabrera gets called up and makes an impact in the rotation, Trevor Rogers takes a step forward, Sixto takes a step forward, there's a lot of questions. Can Pablo replicate what he did last year? Can Sandy replicate what he did last year and continue on that upward trajectory? I think that's less of a question. I think he definitely will. Can Pablo stay healthy? Can the Marlins offense take that step forward? Is Dickerson going to be more like last year or is he going to bounce back? Can Garrett Cooper stay healthy? There's so many questions and the Marlins haven't really made any moves to hedge any of those questions. Every team's going to have question marks around their ball club But how about you improve it a little bit? Because we saw the Marlins ceiling last year, which was best case scenario. They beat a dead-in-the-water Cubs team, then got rocked by the Braves. It was a special season, and I love the fight from this team, and I think there's a lot to be excited about. But you can't just roll into the next season with the same squad and say, all right, let's expect the same thing in 162. We're going to make the playoffs, and we're going to win the wild card. They're not. You can't win it like this. You can't win it with the team that you have. And I'm not saying one or two moves is going to make it better, but it definitely is going to give them a better shot to take that step forward. And they have to prove that last year wasn't a fluke. You finally got more fans involved again. You got more people paying attention. You got to keep them around. And I think not making any moves here is not the best way to do it. You don't have to go get Francisco Lindor, but getting a Wilson Contreras or even just getting a Brad Hand and one or two pieces there, that's a big-time move. I will applaud the Marlins for paying Jesus Aguilar. I will applaud them for going to get Starling Marte, knowing that that would count towards this year too. But there's enough money off the books. They need to go do something, and it doesn't need to be anything crazy, but they need to do something. That kind of leads me into this next, which wasn't really a question, but it's a good point. I usually have a question or two is what this says. Right now, I'm about speechless. Don't know what direction this team is going. My best guess right now is that we're rolling into the season as is. I'm leaving it there. You're pretty much saying what I'm saying. I'm picking up what you're putting down here, and that's where I stand also. Look, I'm not going to throw a fit that the Marlins aren't making moves because, look, I don't want the Marlins to be impulsive at the same time, right? They don't need to make a trade just to make a trade. But you've got some quality options out there. You could go get a Sonny Gray. And that was the next question was Luis Castillo is reportedly available. What are the chances of bringing him in too? I talked about this in one of the previous episodes and Luis Castillo is going to be a steep, steep price to pay. Like I'm talking Blake Snell close to type of price because his contract is incredibly cheap. He's only due around $4.5 million this coming year as a projection. And then he comes with two years of arbitration control through 2022, 2023, then a free agent in 2024. He's going to be tough to get. He's going to be incredibly valuable, and it's going to take a huge haul to go get him at 28 years old. I think the Marlins should definitely look into it. 
but it would definitely hurt also giving up a ton for him after you essentially gave him away twice. I know you got to swallow your pride there and try to make your team better. And if the price maybe is not as high as you think or not as high as some may have expected, then you go get a Castillo. But I think it would be hard to get Luis Castillo without parting with one of those quote-unquote untouchables of J.J. Boudet, Max Meyer, and Edward Cabrera. Though the Padres were able to pull something off like that, the Marlins don't quite have that caliber of prospects outside their top five, but maybe a Jesus Sanchez and a Lewin Diaz or maybe even a Gerard Encarnacion all packaged together there could get something done. But again, I think Marlins fans are probably squirming at the thought of that. I think Sonny Gray would be a cheaper price prospect-wise given that he's due $10 million a year for another couple years and he's also going on 31, but had a spectacular year last year. A lot of the peripherals pointing towards him actually being better with swing and miss stuff this past year. He would take the Marlins rotation to the next level. He would help anchor it with a veteran that is just steady and consistent while you have some of these rookies that are probably going to be up and down with Sixto, potentially Edward, Trevor Rogers, With a little bit of a sporadic nature there with those guys, it would be nice. Imagine just replacing Eliezer with Sonny Gray your rotation just got a hell of a lot better, and that would be a very intriguing piece. I would love that for the Marlins, and I think Sonny Gray, while I don't think they would do it, is a great option for the Marlins to go get. It's affordable, $10 million a year. You paid Starling Marte no problem, 12 and a half for an option this year. He's going to be off the books next year, so why not put that money towards Sonny Gray, and he still actually saved $2.5 million. I think it's a no-brainer. His contract is cheap. He was pitching in a bandbox in Cincinnati now going to a pitcher's park his numbers are only going to get better and better and man would that rotation be good with Sandy Alcantara Sonny Gray Sixto Sanchez Pablo Lopez Trevor Rogers and then Edward Cabrera my goodness that would be loaded and I just don't see how the Marlins would not want to go do that the prospect price probably would be somewhat steep but the Marlins could definitely handle without taking a huge hit to the system. And again, remember, the Marlins have two very early picks in this coming draft, and it's just they're going to replenish more talent there too. And I still really like the picks they made this year with Kyle Nicholas, Zach McCambly, Dax Fulton. Those guys should be dudes also. And I just think the Marlins need to sell high on some of these guys and cash in on those variance prospects. Why are you going to wait any longer? Especially if they're going to struggle this year. Now is the time to probably do it. If teams aren't valuing them at the rate that you think are close to it that you think they're worth then maybe you wait and hope they perform this year but ultimately I think the Marlins should cash in and try to get one of these players that's controllable that can help them kind of prove that last year wasn't a fluke and also be a part of that two to three year projection where we're thinking they're going to be real real contenders and a lot of the prospects will be closer to ready and all that good stuff and the team will be coming together that makes the most sense and I think this team needs to figure it out that way. Also, Isan Diaz could be floated as a trade piece as well. I forgot to mention him. I think the Marlins need to do this. They need to go do something. Make at least one move here like they did with Marte. That would be enough to make me feel like the Marlins are trying to take that step forward and help them now while still thinking about the future. There's a good way to balance the two. And going to get a Sonny Gray, going to get a Wilson Contreras is the perfect way to balance now and the future and not mortgage the future, and not block any prospects. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for your questions. Feel free to always fire me any questions you got, Mailbag Monday or not. I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow, and hopefully the hot stove will heat up for the fish right now. It is ice cold.